You are listening to African Perspectives with host Brother Oshi on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Listen, people, you better take a 
Listening to African Perspectives, where we view the issues of our day from an African worldview and African centered perspective. This program is unapologetically African. It is a custom in the African tradition to ask elders for permission to speak, having been granted permission to our ancestors whose shoulders we stand on, to our elders whose shadows we walk in. I greet you, my dear brothers and sisters. In the language of one of the greatest civilizations on this planet, it gave the world the basic disciplines of knowledge of science, math, architecture, music, writing, law, religion, you name it, we did it. The Greeks called it Egypt, but they called themselves Kemet, and Kemet means land of the blacks. I greet you all in the Kemetic language, the word of peace, Hotep. It is truly an honor and a privilege to pour libation because we truly do stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We're going to use water because water has no enemies. Water is the great cleanser, the great purifier. Everything on the planet that lives, it needs water from a tiny microscopic organism to a tall redwood tree. We pour water into the earth to invoke the spirits of our ancestors and we say the word ashe. It simply means so be it. So we pour this libation to God for all that God has done and for all that God will do. We sashay. We pour this libation to Mother Africa, birthplace of all humanity, everyone who has lived, everyone who will live in the future. We all have a common ancestral root in Africa. We pour this libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. I mentioned Kemet in the opening. Kemet was the height, the apex, the zenith of African high culture. But there were others as well, as Tymeri, Punt, and Nubia. So we poured us libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. We say, Ashe. 
report its libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa, of Ghana, Mali, Zangai, Benin, Great Zimbabwe, civilizations that were flourishing and growing while Europe was in a medieval or dark age. The University of Sankare at Timbuktu, an outstanding educational institution. So we poured us libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa. We say, Ashe? We poured us libation to the Ma'afa, the Holocaust of our enslavement, the Infakani, the great tragedy, uprooted out of Africa. Our brothers and sisters lay a carpet along the Atlantic Ocean. We're in North America, South America, Central America, and throughout the diaspora. So we poured us libation to our brothers and sisters who suffered the Ma'afa, the Infakani, the Holocaust of our enslavement, the great tragedy. We poured us libation in their honor and in their memory. We do not know their names, but because of them and their sacrifice, we are here. So we sashay. We poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. If you ever heard me do a libation, you will know that we were not slaves. I repeat, we were not slaves. We were captives. What does a captive want to do? Get free. So we poured us libation to all those men and women who fought against enslavement. In fact, I maintain that some of us are more of a slave today than we were in our initial captivity because some of us are a slave to vice, to corruption, to drugs, sex, and violence. So we poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. Gabriel Prosser, Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Harriet Tutman. We always resisted. And we will always resist. So we poured us libation in the name and the honor of those men and women who fought against our captivity. We poured us libation to those unborn, those young men and women who will once again lead us back on the stage of human history as a free and proud and productive people. We sashay. We poured us libation to brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of of family. We need each other. We don't have good family life. There's a saying, conditions shape conduct and consciousness. The conditions in our community are bad. The conduct towards each other is not good. Because why? We lack consciousness. And consciousness is more than just awareness. Consciousness is a deeper understanding of who you are historically, who you are culturally. So once we begin to understand the importance of brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of family. Brothers and sisters, let us all say, Ashe, Ashe. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. Good morning, African world. You are listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on TimeForAwakening.com and BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. And I am your host, Baba Oshi. Hope everything is well with you, family. How y'all doing today? Hope you're going to have a good day today, a good weekend. Hope you get a chance to do all the things you want to do, should do, must do, can do, and will do. And I hope the weather will be accommodating for you to do it. But, of course, if it's not, and it must be done, it has to get done, you will get it done. This is African Perspectives. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., 10 to 12 Central, 9 to 11 Mountain, 8 to 10 Pacific, any other time around the world. But if you cannot 
listen to this program live, you can always go to our archives at timeforanawakening.com. At the top of the page, you'll see podcasts. Click on that. The drop down, you'll see time. The drop down, you'll see African perspectives. Click on that, and there will be programs that are dated and titled. Thanks to my good brother and friend, Brother Kwaku. And of course, you can always use the shortcut. That's right, shortcut. Whatever search engine you may use, Google, Firefox, whatever. Put in the search, even on Bibiatumi or on Time for an Awakening. Put in the search, African Perspectives. And uh, there you're going to have it because it's Baba Oshi. Put in, put in the search, babaoshi.net. B-A-B-A-O-S-H-I dot net. And once again, there will be programs that are dated and titled. Other programming that we have here on Time for an Awakening. Um, <clears throat> on Tuesdays, only program they share on Monday is my program. <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And all times are going to give our Eastern times. But on Tuesdays, uh, Black Reality Think Tank is coming back with Brother Alfonso Watkins in honor of Dr. William Rogers. On Friday, today, today's Friday, um, Time for an Awakening with Brother Elliot and Brother Richard at 8 p.m. And then tomorrow from 7 to 9 p.m., the Sankofa Elders Council. And on Sunday, once again at 7 p.m., it's Time for an Awakening with Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. And, of course, the number to call is 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. We have a special program today. I don't know how special it is, but... <laughs> it's my dear brother and friend, brother Irv Lewis, is going to be interviewing me, so I'm going to get the in in ya sasem out of the way and um, get into the programming with uh, brother Irv. And I'm honored to be interviewed. Uh, so maybe you in our listening audience and other members will know more about who I am and why I do what I do. So January. 26. <clears throat> Bless you. <laughs> All right, here we go here. January 26. A man who will not labor to gain his rights is a man who will not, if he had them, prize and defend those rights. Frederick Douglass. People raised, people raised on a diet of ease and unearned excess, purposefully socialized to reject the idea of independent thinking and, and actually working to produce for self, place little if any value or concern on their rights. They assume their innumerable preeminence and approach them as a casually and casually as they do the many things they have the misfortune of crossing their <laughs> inconsiderate paths. People who receive and expect to receive all they desire without any effort on their part, and even in spite of their every effort not to earn them, place little long-term and even often immediate value on what they receive. The response of adult ingrates to personal gifts extends into an area of life where discipline is not enforced even at that of respecting their own civil and human privileges. As African people 
have voluntarily moved to a sense of security in European hands. Many of us have been ushered into a purely unconsuming and leisure mentality, all the while being systematically guided away from any aspirations for real effective power. Our captivity, our enslavement process, now intensified by the process of emptying our souls of the strength of human character through removing the drive for and reason behind, laboring to produce and maintain an autonomous state of being. Before the whip, noose, and various other forms of institutionalized racism kept us in check, now we are suffering under the weight of our own powerlessness, a decadent indulgence. Affirm, I work for African liberation. Affirm, I work for African liberation. January 27th. Is the police an agent who exercises torture in contradiction with the values of his, of his group and system he defends? The police, the agent who exercises torture in contradiction with the values of his group and the system he defends. Franz Fanon, and we're seeing that happening in Memphis, aren't we? Exactly, we're seeing that happening, right? And it's happened before. It has happened before. But it's unfortunate we don't understand that how we embrace this madness, this insanity, and it becomes a part of us. And we behave just like all other things in this madness behaves. Contrasts are keys to crafting an understanding of what we want to do, not want to be like. Therefore, there is a practical necessity in making obvious generalizations about what is and what is not African. For without generalizations, we only see different groups of people evincing unreal similarities. Europeans do not want us to generalize because then we will know them as one people. I'm an individual. If we think of them individually, they stay hidden as a people, as a living, conscious, directed force against humanity. Warriors do not have time to sift between us and them individually. It is enough to know the enemy's nature, the time to disentangle white lies with liberal half-truths and notions of multicultural reforms of its white supremacist father is not on our side. The dire situation of our people face requires simple, honest, inclusive, but comprehensive tools which will allow them to be more effectively do the nation-building work that they have been called to actively engage in. Generalization best serves these intentions. Generalizations, when historically accurate, are statements that describe or characterize the vast majority of the members of a group and give an accurate picture of the variations within a given sample or population, while omitting extremes, which would only confuse the truth. Affirm, I generalize with knowing and conscious intent. Affirm, I generalize with knowing and conscious intent. January 28th. The struggle can make the strongest among us grow weary. We will fight because we must. But our effectiveness must be fed by new thinking and our ability to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Kofi Adai. It is, it is time for a new vanguard, a new conscious, self-defined, self-determined, a warrior 
class guided by a collective of a fearlessness seasoned wise jagnus. It is time for silent reflection followed by quiet determination and immediate action. Revolutionary time is not time. Revolutionary time is not limitless. Whether or not we believe Clarence Mumford's calculation that revolutions have a shelf life of one generation, 20 to 30 years, it is well worth serious consideration. We should know that time is always short for the underdog. It becomes even shorter for the underdog's children with their parents who do not do their revolutionary work. And that's mostly all of them. Affirm every day one of the new conscious undefeatable vanguard. I act as this is the last day I have to liberate African people. Affirm every day has one of the new conscious undefeatable vanguard. I act as this is the last day I have to liberate African people and stay on the case. Brothers and sisters, the Inye, yeah, the Inya is the sim of daily revolutionary thought. Brothers and sisters, I want to introduce to you my good friend, my good brother, <laughs> Brother Irv Lewis. Good, to, good morning, Brother Irv. <laughs> good morning, Brother Oshi. Good morning to the listening audience. Thank you for having me, Brother Oshi. <laughs> That NJ Station was amazing, man. I yeah. was I was listening to that. That was yeah. that was deep. Yeah, it is. It that often is. And and, and, and and what's interesting, it, you know, it seems like because I don't read them beforehand, didn't pick a topic. It seems like it's it's always in tune with whatever is going to be discussed, and there's always some strength in it. Whatever's going to be discussed, so it's it's, it's beautiful, man. Baba Baruti putting that together was outstanding, man. It really is. Brother. Let this be the last day that I have to fight for liberation of my people. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing. That is amazing, yeah. man. That is that yeah. is what I live for. That when when we when we can see it and feel it and live it, that we we, we don't have to fight anymore, man. We we got this. Right. We're just maintaining, right? Rather, but right now it's, it's a fight, and as soon as we realize that, um, we're going to be we're going to be better but this is um this interviewing you is going to be a pleasure because there are numerous people that I've talked to who are just wondering how you get to where you are and and, and many people on this on this network how do you get to the point where your whole life is is is, is engulfed in uh, lifting someone else up trying to make sure that uh, your people are good and not necessarily yourself and and that's what you embody, man. You in, you don't embody that individualism. You embody that uh, cohesiveness, that collect working as a, as a collective, and that t- that's a special type of person, man. Because that's a selfishness. And when you and when you live like that, uh, we we're not we're not socialized to believe that. So it's, it's like, what's wrong with you? No, it's actually what's right with you right. and what's wrong with me. Because you know my reality is to wear these European clothes and, and to speak this, this European language and, as if it was my language and, 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 and those things. But you push completely against all that, in your, not in your talking, but in your doing. And see, doing to me is, is much more than just running your mouth. You don't get on this radio station and, and talk about all the things that, oh, she did. Oh, she did this and oh, she did that. I never hear that. All I hear is, what are you doing, brother? And what have y'all done? And, and, and what have... 
what have you all done together and what is your organization doing and and how is this helping the people and and those that type of talking it it does penetrate man and people do do hear you and they do start to live that but i personally uh, have some questions for you brother that uh to ask you and i and i need you i know you will i'm not going to even say that but i'm going to say anyway i know you're going to be as honest as you possibly can because when you live this the type of life that that you that you see people don't know how you live until they see you live or until people talk about what they've seen because live, live people can talk until the cows come home or whatever that means but when you when you start to do it come on now when you start to do it 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 resonates and i and i personally have have witnessed um you actually doing what you do i've 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 actually witnessed you going out of your way to help people who can't help themselves or, or people who've been so far turned around in their life. So they believe they, they really believe they're doing the right thing. They, and they're hurting, they're actually hurting themselves with what they're doing, but they believe they're doing the right thing. So I, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to get started, man. I want to jump right into this let's, because let's I, people need to know these things. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'm going to have you go ahead and give me a series of answers and, instead of stopping you and starting you because I think when you when you're talking about yourself and I do and I used to talk about myself a lot don't get it I love me you get into a flow when you're talking because in your mind not in your mind but in most people's minds they 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 think as they talk you know what I mean because a lot of these things you said before talking about yourself is not something new we no. all have talked about ourselves right uh and you know you act like you know sometimes people say oh, no, tell us a little bit about huh a little bit man i can talk three days about me because i know what i do but uh, talking about you is something i don't know so that's what we want to get into so what i want to ask you really quickly brother oshi i, I want to know quickly where you were born uh because that, that's important and how you grew up and pretty much your family life your, where you were in the in the mix of of your brothers and sisters, did you grow up with a mom and a dad, and then and then move into your school, your schooling, and then uh, we're going to quickly go over your work life, and then we get into your your coaching and your fire department life, and then we'll then we'll get into your kids and we'll talk about more more about that. So tell me, brother Oshie, where where were you born at? What state? Okay, city I was uh, all that type of stuff. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, in in the early fifties. I'm seventy years old, fifty three. And, and and what I remember, of course, the decade that you're born in is the next it's the next decade that you grow up in. So I grew up in the 60s, you know, uh, some of the things I remember from the 50s. Of course, we were fortunate to have a television. So watching some television stuff and also the 57, 1957, when the Milwaukee Braves beat the New York Yankees in the World Series. My mama dancing and hollering and so forth, you know, and um Remember when my mom got married to uh, my father, my stepfather, uh, Roosevelt, and I remember that uh, very well. And uh, remember how he was as a man. You know, he was he was the father that I knew. He stuck with my mom all those many, many years. In fact, I'm, I was coming here to Atlanta uh, for a conference, and um, I called my mom because it was November. And uh, to wish her a happy birthday. Her birthday is November 26. She was born in Milwaukee, November 26, 1926. And so I couldn't reach him. And I'm finding, you know, you know, I'm like, wow, this is this is strange, because I'm always they're always they didn't, you know no cell phones nothing like that. So finally I got a hold of one of my 
uh, brothers or one of my sisters told me that they were he was in hospice. I didn't know he was in hospice, and and so I, I stopped what I was doing, and I went right there to hospice to because um, I knew I was leaving town the next day, I believe, or the day after, whatever, and to tell him and to thank him for being my father, thank him for being there. I mean, even though he he didn't go to my games, he he was not into sports, you know, didn't go see me box and none of that stuff, so. But still, he was there, you know. He helped. He provided a roof over our heads, you know. So I just wanted to thank him for being my father, and he did make his transition while I was in uh, that in Atlanta at that conference, <clears throat> you know. And so, um, you know, growing up in Milwaukee, <laughs> going to uh, school there. Of course, Milwaukee has always been as been labeled one of the most segregated cities in the in the country you know very few caucasian kids do i remember from the 50s uh in, in, in into the 60s that i went to school with and uh even in middle school and even well in high school uh when i went to high school i went to rufus king high school rufus king was a, a general in the um civil war in the on the um union side Rufus King is because he was from Wisconsin, and uh, this is the late '60s, and of course the, the riots were happening. In fact, we had a riot at our school, and the with little numbers of Caucasians who were at the school, um, you know, they left. So Rufus King was about maybe I'd say 85 percent us. It became 95 percent us, you know, after that incident. You know, Caucasians left in droves. And then, uh, once I was out of school and into the um, latter part of the 70s to the beginning of the 80s, they made Rufus King a magnet school, one of the top schools uh, in the state of Wisconsin, academically from a public school standpoint. In fact, it, it pretty much uh, uh, operated like a private school, you know. And, 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 and I was saying to myself, and I said to members of the school board, every school should be like Rufus King in terms of its academic challenges, in terms of preparing young people. You know, here you have some deeply failing yeah. schools. You know, North Division was a brand new high school. And, 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 and I worked there on my off days from the fire department, working with young people at their school. It's a deeply failing school, brand new building, you know. But uh, they didn't operate like Rufus King. In fact, that's one of the schools I never worked at with, with, with our young people. I did a program there one time, but I never, in terms of working with them on a constant basis, you know. <laughs> anyway, so right. uh, um, <laughs> so that's pretty much me growing up in, in, in Milwaukee and uh, going to high school and so forth there. And... Uh, I always wanted to. Did you, did you attempt to go to college? Did you ever attempt to go to college? Um, I did once I came on the fire department. I did not because uh, okay. I dropped out. I wound up dropping out of high school because I I was told that I, I didn't uh, have enough credits to graduate, and I uh, I've never been a summer school in my life. I just couldn't fathom being in school in the summer when it's nice outside, the honeys are there, we can play some ball and all that stuff. I was like, no. <laughs> so I'm so I'm on the bus. I'm I'm on the bus and I see the uh, sign, one of the advertisements to get a good job, you need a good education. And it just stuck with me. And ironically, um 
OIC, Opportunities Industrialization Center. Reverend Dr. Leon Sullivan out of Philadelphia created it, and he had a number of, of opportunities, OICs across the country. And, and Milwaukee just opened up, which is uh, uh, when it just opened up at an old theater, it's about, a, I'd say, less than a mile from my home where I was living with my mom and them. And, mm-hmm. and so I went down there, and, and they said, you offer free, free GED. So I, I took that. In fact, uh, because I dropped out, I dropped out long before I was for the graduating class. I wound up getting my GED before my high school graduating class, fortunately. You know, but wow. yeah. And and so um you gotta pass those five requirements and I was fortunate enough to, to to do that. But I was I was serious. I was diligent. In fact, uh Mr Mr. Green, I see him periodically, every now and then always thank him, you know, for his belief and, and his his assistance and whatever he did to encourage me, man. You know, thanked him so much because, you know, uh, Opportunity knocks. And if you are prepared, if you are prepared, you can open the door. But if your ass ain't prepared, you can't even touch the door now. You know, so when I got that GED, even though I left town, I I, I moved to Norfolk for for a while, Norfolk, Virginia, for a minute. I moved to Detroit. First, I moved to Detroit, moved to Detroit for a minute, and then Norfolk, and I came back, and then I was working at a lumber yard, and the guy told me about the fire department was hiring. I didn't know anything about the affirmative action. I didn't know that the fire department was hiring, and, and I, I didn't even know that one of the brothers who 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 was a firefighter at the time was also president of the NACP, and the NACP was offering uh, classes to assist you in the first portion of the testing process, which is the written test. Okay, you know, so. Um, uh, I uh, I went when I when I applied, I went and got me a book from the library to study, and mm-hmm. and honestly, man, I was a little discouraged because I didn't do as well. I'm not a great test taker, man, but I'm fortunate. I'm blessed. I somehow seemed to things seemed to happen because like when I was in Norfolk, I took a test for the Navy because things got bad and I didn't pass it. Thank God, right. <laughs> you know. There's always a reason, you know, <laughs> you know, so, so, so I, I, I took the test for the fire department and in October of 75 and the other portions of the test, the written test is the first thing I passed that and the physical agility, I smoked that, man, I was in good shape. I was a young man, I was 27, so I was, you know, I was killing, man, right. you know, and then the, 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 uh, oral test, which of course, you know, if you can talk and you can articulate, and then bam, I, I killed that one. You know, then all the other tests. So I yeah. was high up on the list. It was the so-called minority list. So I was high up on it uh, to be the this and, this. and we were the second group of of brothers and Latinos and and and, and Native and Indigenous people to uh, get on the fire department from this so-called list. And I was in that second group and at the top of the second group. So I was fortunate, man. Very, very lucky, very, very blessed, and um, and so that's that started January twenty sixth of, tw- of uh, January twenty sixth of seventy six. Started my uh, oh wow yeah started my 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 career, and and I was on the fire department for thirty thirty one years, 
and I ascended to the rank of captain. I, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, you know, my feeling is I could have done better. I could have done a number of things had I applied myself early, but it, it is what it is. But one of the things that um, really helped me was the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters getting the, getting into how that. Was, huh? What's that? How did they help you? Okay. Um, well, as more of us were starting to come on the fire department, you know, and I would talk with a lot of other brothers that, that, that I came on with and those who were on the job that we need to organize, you know. And so I had meetings at my house and, and meetings at a few other places to try wow. to organize us, you know, not knowing, didn't know that there was an international association of black professional firefighters, you know, that had been in existence, okay. you know, and, and then, then some contacts were made. Wow. Some contacts were made, and then we 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 finally joined the international. And uh, in fact, we had a delegation. Uh, I wasn't in that delegation, but we had five brothers that uh, went to Chicago because they were having a regional meeting in Chicago. And those five brothers, uh, they joined, and <laughs> and this is what happened, man. <laughs> this is funny because they joined. They said, "Okay, you got the next meeting." What? How does that work? We got the next meeting in Milwaukee. <laughs> so it was a, they went to a spring <laughs> meeting and we had a fall meeting. <laughs> so, but man, we, uh, wow. but man, we uh, uh, jumped to, and, I mean, we jumped both feet into it, man. We really put on a nice conference uh, in Milwaukee for that first time. And, and I will never forget meeting the, the brothers and sisters from the Midwest and our, our national president and treasurer. Um, Brother Dave Floyd out of New York, and brother, Charlie, yep, and brother Charlie Hendricks out of Philadelphia, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the many folks, the brothers from Chicago, from Detroit, from you know, from oh, from Cleveland, man, the brothers from Cleveland came. The vanguards came in strong, so it, it was a source of pride, and and we we put on a good conference, man, and everything turned out very very well, and and of course the international. And becoming a part of that, and then being a firefighter, when you work one day and you're off two days, you know, right? Uh, you have a chance to to do a lot of things. And of course, if there are things to, that that are happening outside of the fire department, you don't have to miss them because you can have somebody work for you, and you work for them later, and you can attend whatever that is, or you can uh, trade days so you can be off for, for whatever extended period of time right. is necessary, you know. And so, you know, uh, I, I jumped into the international, man. I, uh, I, it helped me become the man that I am, honestly, because of the places I've been able to go and the things that I've been able to do, you know. And, and mm-hmm. uh, on, on, on my on days, did a lot of reading at the firehouse if I wasn't, you know, going out in and out of the firehouse for, you know, for whatever cause there might be. Because early on, my first part of the career, it was, uh, we still had uh, alarm boxes on the corner. Where you pull the alarm, right? So we had numerous false alarms consistently. So we sometimes went in and out of the house fifteen, twenty times a day at various times of the day. Right? It could be two or three in the morning, you right? Know? You know, because people walk by, just pull it, you know, and then and then they and they send that signal goes downtown, and then the signal comes to the local, excuse me, the closest fire company to that. Uh, alarm box. In fact, when I first came on, they were still 
uh, sending a full alarm, first alarm response to those boxing incidents. Right. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Let's just send the closest engine, you know, apparatus to, to, to that box. And then they, and you have to wind the box too. You have to wind it. And, you know, that's and right. Then, and then, but then, of course, um, some years later, they wised up, particularly uh, as the um, 2000s came in because everybody had a cell phone. I don't know if you remember, remember they had Correct. the uh, telephones in the fire, a uh, 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 pay phone in the fire. Oh, yeah. House. You, call, yeah. you yeah. call on the phone. Yeah. You call, call in on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. had to run and go get the phone <laughs> and answer it. Engine 29, you know, you know. Yeah. But yeah. now that's, that's all that's gone. <laughs> but yeah. So um, then getting into the international, uh, in fact, uh, I went to the convention in 1980 in Detroit. And uh, became serious about the international, and then, uh, and in '82, while I was uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, because of the um, voting process, because of the voting process, I wound up um, uh, running for office. I ran for Sergeant at Arms of the International, you know, and I won. <laughs> <laughs> and I won. So I became an uh, officer on the international. Uh, I was an officer for like yeah. eight years. Yeah. Eight years, but always involved. And wait a minute, Ocean, people, people may not know the name of the, the Black Firefighter Organization that you're talking about. The name of it is the what? The International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, the IABPFF. Um, Correct. We were started in 1970 by David Floyd and Charlie Hendricks and all those brothers from out east. The organizations from out east New York, Philadelphia, White Plains, New York, all these great organizations from out east, and then we spread across the country, and um, you know, uh, and and we had a voting system that, that was kind of biased in, uh, for different regions. In fact, New York would would uh, partner with the South Central region and the Northwest region, and and bam, they ran the election until we began to say let's all have one person one vote and that that became you know something instituted uh, some years later but because of that old way I was I was on the board and and I I like to say I've served and and learned a lot and in fact um, in New Orleans in 90 uh, 94 I think it was I um, I ran for vice president and I became the vice president and then uh, a couple years later after that I, I became president for a term for, so I was honored to be the president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters and and wow and, and that helped me go literally around the world I I went to Africa for the first time in 96 to uh, Ghana me and my good friend brother Jim Wimbush and because um, I believe that we surely because honestly, I believe we truly should be an international organization. And so we reached out to Correct. firefighters in the Caribbean and had a good, strong chapter in Barbados. You know, even went to the, uh, even went to the Bahamas for a convention <clears throat> in 2000. I can remember when 2000, I think it was 2010 yeah. or something around there. And. And so, and England, and England, England joined the organization oh, oh, also. Yeah, correct? Yeah. Oh, they were strong. Yeah, at, at a number of conventions. I remember one time they had about fifteen people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. England, 
Yeah, the UK came in strong. It's not happening that way now, unfortunately. Um, we kind of, um, through a period of time, and as a fortune, and we uh, didn't maintain those strong contacts and did not progress as an organization to do those things that would be necessary for us. You know, because, you know, we're not a bargaining unit. The IFFF, the International Association of Firefighters, is the bargaining unit. The fraternal organization. Exactly. And, right. and they're the ones that deal with the contract. But, yeah, we could influence that and we could be uh, an organization that makes sure that our interests are served because that's what we're about, that our interests are served, you know. So um, we're still hanging on as an organization. Um, you know, me and you were – we were in um, Hartford, Connecticut, and Hartford was where the organization was born. And even though we could not have a celebration in 2000 uh, as we wanted to because of 2020, 2020, because of the pandemic, you know. But so last year in 2022, we celebrated the, the 50 years of our organization's existence, you know. And um, it's hey. You know, let's see what happens. Because <laughs> see, what's interesting about that, though, Brother Irv, as you know, the con- the situation and conditions are in the fire service are just as deep today as they were 50 years ago. There's still, oh, yeah. There are cities that, 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 that we have a population that is, you know, majority us, but yet we're only 10, 15, or even 20% on, of, the, uh, of us are on the fire department. You know, it's like Chicago. It's like Milwaukee. Milwaukee's left in 10%, but yet we're 40-some percent of the people of the population. And I've always maintained that that's a public works job. The people's taxes pay for that service. And so so citizens of that city who are uh, uh, whatever percent, they, they should be reflected in the fire service. I bet you they're reflected in the sanitation workers, you know, Oh, I can be the damn garbage man, but I can't be a firefighter, you know. So that's like taxation. That's like taxation without representation. Our taxes pay for that service, and so I've often stated that we should demand to the uh, to the to the mayor and the common council, and of course to the fire department itself that we want you know that our department should reflect to some degree the city it serves it should not be we are 40 some percent of the fire department excuse me 40 some percent of the city but less than 10 percent of the fire department and 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 milwaukee became even deeper because they wound up getting rid of residency used to have to be a resident of the city of milwaukee to get the job which i was always in favor of so but now you can live as long as you get to your job on time or whatever you can live outside of the city who knows miles away but there's places that there's places that don't have residency like LA Los Angeles you got cats who are, who are in Los Angeles fire department who live in who live in Phoenix you know or who live in Vegas yeah you know and they they fly Baltimore. in Baltimore Baltimore is the same way Baltimore, Maryland is the same way. You can live in Pennsylvania and work in the Baltimore County Fire Department. Mm-hmm. And Oshie, I understand what you're saying. The, the fire department should reflect the community that it serves, and and it doesn't. <clears throat> and that's because most of your black people live in the cities, in the urban areas, and the and that's where there's there's most of the fires, only because there are so many people. And when there are lots of people on top of each other or, or in close proximity to each other, you're going to have more 
fire incidents or more emergencies. Sure. Uh, car accidents. Sure. Like that. So that's, and, and you're absolutely correct. And health issues oh, because, with, and health issues because oh, of, yeah, you are. in private community. See, so a lot of those emergency medical runs, paramedic necessities that are, that are, that are, that are key. And of course, uh, alarms, fire alarms and so forth are in our community. That's like when I came on a job, oh, this yeah. young Caucasian used to kick the Joker stand. That's where the alarms came in on. Hey, let's get something. I should say, yeah, let's get something at your house. You know, you. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, let's how about get something that? at your house, man. Because, I mean, in the reality. Go ahead. I was just going to say, because the reality is many of the many of these guys really never respected the community. They wanted to work there. They wanted to get the experience. But they really have no respect for the people. They don't care for the people in the community. You know, they do their job. I, I, I can I can honestly say I haven't seen anybody totally respecting, you know, not totally. They There is some, you know, like when they come in, you know, uh, with their fire coats and stuff on, it's all smelly and nasty. And they put the, the first aid kit on top of their people's tables and so forth, you know. But, you know, one thing that I, when I became an officer, when I became an officer, I wanted to make sure that the company, that I had would treat the people with utmost respect, whether it was at 3 p.m. in the afternoon or 3 a.m. in the morning. You know, we run a, a positive, good level of service. <laughs> You're absolutely correct, Oshi. As you know, I served 35 years in the fire department also, and everything that you say are saying is ab- is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the race... I'm mean, at the end of this interview. We're going to tie this all into into white supremacy because the fire because any if you don't understand white supremacy, everything else will confuse you. That's right. And Neely uh, Fuller brother Neely right. Fuller tells you yep. that. Yep. And this all this all ties into that. Yep. Um, oh, she, I, I we could talk all day about the fire department because there's so many stories, true stories right. about because uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a city within a city. It's it's a subculture yeah. of people, but. I want to I want to quickly turn in this still in this first hour as to how many uh, what is your what is your 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 personal life not go too far deep into your mm. personal life but were you ever married how many children do you have do you have any grandchildren okay. and and what is your legacy when it comes to that well uh, I was married early on um, and I have a daughter and and you know of course young ladies they don't want to tell their age but she's over fifty. <laughs> So I was married when I was 19, <laughs> you know, and then uh, we divorced. So that's the oldest daughter. Then I married again um, around 80, 1980. And then, uh, so my youngest daughter's over 40. So I have some old kids. Wow. I have some old kids and I have that's some, good. you know, but they didn't have children until later. So I have two grandsons. Uh, one is 19. Oh, wow. Yeah, he'll be 20 in July and one is 15. He'll be 16 in October. Great. You know, those are my two grandsons. And um, yeah. and, and so uh, I have a, you know, a brother, older brother, and two younger sisters in, in our family. But, I, you know, our family wasn't as close as a lot of family, families were. And, um, and, of course, I love my family. I love, I've always, I don't know how to good mm-hmm. sense about how important family is. And, and, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I didn't. I had to. I had to help out with the family. My mother, uh, right. she did day work. And if you know what day work is, in fact, if you want to know what mm-hmm. day work is, watch Claudine. 
with wow <laughs> yeah that's day where watch watch the movie claudine which is one of my favorite movies with one of the baddest best soundtracks with gladys knight oh yeah. the, yes gladys no knight. doubt best soundtrack but you're talking diane carroll diane and carroll Earl jones exactly watch and, claudine. And, and, and lawrence hilton jacobs yep lawrence hilton jacobs <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah mr yeah. welfare Perfect. man yeah so, so oh, see, let me say, let me when, let me say this to you. And I don't want to interrupt you when you're in your flow, but when we talk about family and family members, when I was younger, I would hear that people were estranged from their family, and I would go, "Well, how in the world could you not talk to your brothers and sisters? Y'all grew up together. How y'all don't see each other every day?" Well, let, let me say this to you, Oshi. Family, just as anything else in this life, has its place. Everything, uh, your, your 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 family life has its place. Your work life has its place. Your, your, your adult life has its place, and they have a season. Uh, I, I mean, I, I slept in the bed with my brother for almost 12 years uh, as we were growing up, but, and maybe, and then after that, I don't, I don't talk to him every day. But I, at, at some point, I would see him every day. So when people talk about their families, we tend to want our families to look like the families on television that these white folks give us. You know, where everybody loves each other. We all sit at the table and have dinner, and Dad talks about what's going on at the at the job, you know, down at the at the office. It, it wasn't like that at my family. My father worked. My mother worked. Um, my brothers and sisters, we all went to school. We came home, cleaned up. We did. We walked to the laundromat. We went to the market. Those types of things. So we, the families that that people think you have, and the families that you have are two completely different things. Right. And and that comes at ties back into. Uh, our, 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 us trying to live this European lifestyle with, that we see on television. Dad had a drown. Mom fixed Dad a martini every day. That's, that's an alcoholic, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I thought, come right. on now. I thought that was normal. So when yeah, you talk about the see. family, we don't apologize. Yeah, we don't talk about. We don't apologize for growing up in a, in a poverty-stricken area because that was that's what racism, white supremacy dictates to black yeah. people. Yeah. This is where you live, and your parents. I didn't want to live there, but that's where they lived, so that's where I lived. And their right. parents lived and in worse conditions. And a lot that. of times, that's where they had to live, or that's where the only place they could live. You know, could live. They mm-hmm. could. That's, you're absolutely mm-hmm. correct. So no, we don't. We, the, our, my lives were rich, and, and the, the mm-hmm. thing about the, the God that I serve, He makes even living in a ghetto fun. I mean, right. we walked to the park, we yeah. rode bicycles, we skated, yep. we played football. We had a good time in the swallow that we lived in yeah. because we didn't know we were poor right. until we knew we were poor. Yeah. So now it's my job to make sure that my children uh, have understood and understand that you're living, you're not living, uh, your, uh, you think you're living your best life, mm-hmm. but there is much more for you to experience, to see. Uh, you can go more than five miles from where you grew up at. You can see, you can see the things in the book. Like okay. the white folks do, you can you can see all the all these pyramids that you see in the books. You can see them in real life. So no, oh, she don't apologize for how you grew up or how your family is is not as close as you would like it to be. But you, we have to we have to deal with people where they are, and and that's oh, yeah. the way this this life goes. But no, your family life was very was very interesting. Well, yeah, Oshie, and I and I, and well, I want to know how you transitioned from uh the Milwaukee, your family life, from your fire department, and how did we get to the consciousness, brother, because that's what I really want to okay. know, because the consciousness made you the person that you are today, and that's the person that I know. I didn't know this yeah. other person, but what I do know is that you have an overwhelming sense of who you are and where you are in the world, and that's very important to me. Where do you see yourself in this world? 
Are you a spectator? Are you a participator? Are you a leader? Are you a follower? How did you get there? Were you ever, were you the president of the NAACP? Yeah. Did you join them? Did you understand? Yeah. Did you understand the what they were about? Yeah. You, and then when the internet came to me, the internet was like a library in my pocket mm. because I stayed in the library. I, I mm. read a lot. And like you, I didn't go far. I didn't rise far in the ranks of the fire department, but I did understand but people did understand me to be a leader. I was president of my organization, just as you were, and they understood me to be that informal leader, which I never liked that that informal piece. I just I didn't like the word minority because I'm not I minor to you. Exactly. Yeah. So it. all these all these labels and words that that penetrate our psyche to, to make us think we're less than is what racism, white supremacy does. And it's in like I, I'll say it again. If you don't understand racism, white supremacy, everything else from law, entertainment, war, sex, love will confuse you. And we are confused in what we're doing because our reality is given to us by someone else. And as you well know, uh, who creates your reality? That's the definition of power. So tell us how you how you got how what what speech, what person, what event sparked? Like a lot of people say, well, when Martin Luther King got killed, I. I yeah. wanted to help black people. Well, you know, it, 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 it happened to me way before King got killed. I didn't even know who King was when he got killed. Yeah. And I, because I didn't, my my parents weren't into that. You know, well, we weren't marching. We were working because we had to you, eat. You know, oh, uh, you in my high me. school, in my high school time, there was some, because of the things that were happening in the society, the riot that happened at the school, the riots that happened in Milwaukee, the riots that happened across the country, the, the, the assassination of King and the, first assassination of Bobby Kennedy, then Dr. King, and, and of course, I remember the assassination of, of Malcolm, February 21st, 1963. I was riding in the car with my mother and, and my auntie from Chicago. My mother didn't drive. She was driving around, and I heard it on the radio. And and the w- b- reason why it was interesting, because um, Muhammad Ali was coming into focus, and, and I love Muhammad Ali. I love Muhammad Ali because mm-hmm. of the Im- image that he projected as a man who was, you know, confident. And, and, and he was naming rounds and he was talking smack, you know. But then I really fell in love with him when he joined the Nation of Islam because he was telling white folks right to their face, you my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. He was telling right to their face. And, I, and for some reason, I gravitated to that. So I gravitated to Malcolm uh, when I was coming up in high school and I gravitated to Muhammad Ali and, and because of that. And so... Um, when the public of New Africa came into Milwaukee, had a little, had a chapter in Milwaukee. I went to a couple of meetings. Went to a couple of meetings when some brothers uh, who were involved in the Panthers and the NAACP Youth Council, the NAACP Youth Council, at the time of the open housing marches, was very active and very very big. And I uh, 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 participated in the march for open housing across the 16th Street Viaduct here in Milwaukee, and which was a, a def- defining line. That's the that's the deep thing about Milwaukee segregation. They had defining lines of segregation. That viaduct created and separated separated the north from the south. And of course, those Caucasians did not want anybody black coming across the viaduct into the south. You know, in fact, the police chief of Milwaukee uh, was akin to Bull Connor of Birmingham, Alabama, in look and attitude and practice. No kidding, uh, Harold Breyer. You know. And and so um, we marched across the 16th Street Viaduct and were met by bottles and bricks and, and so forth. And then I participated in the big march, 
down was down the main street downtown Wisconsin Avenue uh, for open housing and 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 so uh, the 70s happened I, I, I played football uh, semi-pro football I boxed boxed when I was a teenager I got involved in that you know so I, I did a number of things athletically and in community wide and 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 so but really became deeply involved from a community sense when I got on the fire department and got into the organization because it was through the organization that I helped with other things. Uh, involved with the NACP, uh, I was vice president of the NACP, uh, involved in um, charitable uh, sickle cell anemia basketball game, the Central City Scholarship Fund. I was raising money for scholarships. So I just became more active as a, you know, because of that, that, that vehicle. You know, I'm involved in something, and, and so I became more active. And um, uh, but I think the I think the turning point for me is reading about various other people in, in 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 our history, aside from the ones that we always know. Reading about Dr. Clark, reading about Kwame and Krumen, reading about other Africans, I fell in love with Africa and being African. You know. I fell in love with it, and uh, and so uh, so I wanted to uh, bring that into the organization, you know, and and you know, I know we really weren't ready for that, and and of course um, we haven't truly embraced it because it's just like I was watching the sixteen nineteen project, and I'm going to watch it again. And, and and give our listeners here an African perspective on the 1619 Project, the documentary of the work that Sister Hannah Jones has done, which, which of course is a great work, but understand that us coming here, how we came and how we've been maintained here is, is not for us to overcome these Caucasians and to appeal to them to, to let us be a part of this madness, not not from my perspective. My perspective is us coming here is let us know that we cannot be uh, a people who are who we should be and ought to be, because we are in an environment and in a situation that is not good for us, and that we need to find ways to pull our resources and do for ourselves and 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 and, and be Pan Africanists and come and and to make that move. In, in a direction that, of course, a lot of us who are involved in this madness don't want to do. <laughs> we don't want to be African. Well, anyway, so now, um, having <laughs> having got involved in those things and then started to involve myself in Pan-African organizations and gone to Africa, mm-hmm. I've been to Africa six times, went to Kemet, went to Kemet in that situation, uh, Senegal, <clears throat> that you're going to be going to in a few months. What is it, next month? No, no. Oh, no, yeah, April, yeah, yeah. April. 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 Yeah, in April. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, yeah, I know. No, I can't wait. Yep. And, yeah. and, and so, you what? know, um, starting to understand the, the, the mentality of Urugu, the, the mentality of the white man, and nothing really prepares you better than being on the fire department <laughs> because there's no other <laughs> occupation. I mean, just to be real, there's no other occupation 
that is more racist than the fire service because of its unique working arrangements. You, you live in the firehouse. And, and, and one of the things that they did, that's why they did not want us to, that was the last public works job that we could access was the fire service because they did not want us to be on the fire department. They did not want us to be in the firehouse 24 hours with them, living with them and so mm-hmm. forth. And there were many and there were many uh, uh, brothers who, who, you know, who early on who faced deep discrimination and humiliation, you know, through a, through a damn uh, mattress in a corner and said, that's, that's where you sleep. Gave them a, a cup right. and a bowl and some silverware. This is for you, you know. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just like early on. It's just like early on in the police department, which was shown in the movie Harlem Nights. You know, you can't arrest. You a black officer, you got to arrest black people in your neighborhood. That's why you. That's why they hired you. You can't arrest nobody white. You know. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. You know. No, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, and so the same thing. You know, in the Milwaukee Fire Department, and when I came in, there was two brothers who were lieutenants. That was the highest ranking two brothers. One of them did descend to uh, assistant chief, you know, before he retired, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we started seeing a lot of progress. And, of course, the work that the the legendary <laughs> Dr. Carl Holmes out of Oklahoma City had done to not just to create the educational program that we have of, of Executive Development Institute that is now still at Dillard University uh, down in New Orleans every uh, first week in June, but it has reaped such tremendous uh, progress and rewards for upper management. But it's, it's not the, those of us who have ascended to um, promotional po- positions in upper management. It is on the entry level that is the issue for us at this time. It has been. Because like I said, here in 2022, when you have a city that's 40, 45% us and a fire department that's only 10% black, that's an issue. So that still needs to be, de- that still needs to be a addressed you know and 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 i don't think it'll ever be addressed properly particularly now because you know you have um uh right wing and reactionary republican administrators and in, in, in city and state government and federal government and so affirmative action particularly now the court which is a far right court you know they want they want to believe that this is a meritocracy that this is a meritocracy and, and, and that your your is on you as an individual, and if you didn't get it, the, the problem is you. The problem is not the system, you know. It's on you, you know. So, uh, brother Oshi, I, 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 mm-hmm. I what? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I want I want you to finish. Well, I wanted you to. You're absolutely in what you're saying, and, and um, I, I, of course, I'm in the fire department. In the fire department, so I'm telling the absolute truth. On, on how this the, the fire department, the people in the, the fire department are the people that they serve. In other words, when you go into a racist home, uh, white or people that are racist, or you get into a home where black people are completely oblivious to who they are, mm-hmm. and they are brought completely into the system of, of, of assimilation, those are the people that those are the same people that's in the fire department. Oh, you sure. know, that's where they get these folks from. Sure. And you keep saying, uh, you, you mentioned here, one. One person made this and one person made that. Well, white folks don't do ones. They do 20s. They got 20 chiefs. They got 30 chiefs. We have one. 
one guy ascended and one guy did this. And, and at this rate, it, it's going to be the year uh, 3010 before we even <laughs> catch up with these folks. Yeah. So, Oshi, from what you said a few minutes ago, it appears to me that the 16th Street Bridge March was your was your Pettit was your pretty much equivalent to the Pettit Bridge March oh, they oh, had down yeah, the Ep- yeah. in the South. Exactly. The Edmund yeah, Pettit. it was well, pretty much. Of, your, of, and these these things <laughs> were happening all over the country. Yeah, of which it, I had the opportunity. Just, uh, a, a good friend of mine from Milwaukee came and visited. He wanted to go to Selma for the anniversary uh, of the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge, the the, the uh, Voting Rights March. Um, back in 2015, uh, back in 2015, because it was 1965, the Voting mm-hmm. Rights Act, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and I tell you, man, I'm glad I went. It was a, it was a sad and it was a, it was a conflicting experience because of the still how poor and and so forth the whole area was, and of course the bridge itself, the markers, and ironically, ironically, what you call. Uh, who used to? Who was from Wisconsin? He was the Wisconsin uh, Republican national chair. This cat named Rance Previs. So mm-hmm. down the at, down the bridge, you know, they had to march from the church, and then they would descend down as the bridge was on the, on the decline. And at the bottom of the bridge, where where the or the authorities waiting for them to give them that beat down, you know, that they that, that our mm-hmm. people experience. And of course, the markers are there. So I'm there, to, and here comes Rance Previs, along with three people, young people, a, a brother, a sister, and a Caucasian, you know. And so as he approaches, you know, I, I know, I recognize him. In fact, I was on a radio program with him, and I'm quite sure he don't remember me, and I don't give a damn, you know. And so I mentioned his name, and he was all startled and all happy, you know. But I told him, I said, this is just, you being here is disingenuous, because in 2013, your Supreme Court did away with a lot of the protections, the voting protections that were put in. But because y'all came in on Republican tip, you know, well, things are better now. There's no problem. And you can see today the, the effects of what that has done, you know. So I said, you know, that's pretty disingenuous of you. And I looked at those kids, those young people, rather, in the face, especially particularly the young brother and sister, you know. In the face, man. So, but yeah, well, I went there, and uh, and of course, uh, Barack, you know, he led a big march across the bridge and so forth, you know. But a lot of it, unfortunately, man, a lot of times because it, it becomes to be, it becomes more symbolism without substance, you know. And and and, and to me, it's ludicrous that we're still talking about voting rights, you know. The 1965 Voting Rights Act should have been etched in law and concrete that you have a right to vote. And, and here's, here's the only other restrictions from you not having a right to vote. And that should have been the end of that story. But, of course, it is not and it's still very prevalent today because n- this society doesn't give a damn about particularly rights of, of African people and those who are not Caucasian. That's just being real. This is, you know, this this society is just... The contradictions of it is just sickening to me, you know. It always has done that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, oh, brother Oshi, you, you, I, I listen to you speak, uh, and when you speak on um, the, the way the things are, and I and I agree with you a hundred and uh, infinity in actuality on on this subject because 
racism, white supremacy is a is a living document, which people don't understand. Racism, white supremacy has built in, built in procedures and things that'll happen when this happens. This happens when 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 we when we give you Voters Rights Act. It's, as soon as we give you that, we're starting to gut the act. We're, we right. we give the act a time limit. Right. Then, and and you look at people, like Joe Biden, who was who sat there and, and signed the bill. Uh, you know, to, to lock all these brothers up, him and and, yeah. and, and Bill Clinton. Clinton. Bill Clinton, yeah. But then, twenty years later, thirty years later, he's all right. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's not bad. He changed his mind. He's 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 okay now, and we're okay. <laughs> and and then what, what racism, racism, white supremacy does? It doesn't give you a choice. You either can choose him. You can either either choose the devil or the devil's son. Yeah, the lesser. You, you don't. Quote, you don't you're not going to have evils. anything. Yeah. Nothing yet, and so what it does, it 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 it, it 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 goes into it changes, but it stays the same. No matter how much these things change, they stay the same. Biden ain't changed; he's just as he was before. And now, and you, and then you, what what has changed? It, what what is changing is that black people. When you say we we for the Africans, we got to find Africans first because most of these black people don't even believe they are African, but Africa's in you. Mm-hmm. And what and what racism, white supremacy does. It lets you know that you're African. It, it'll 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 do something, and you'll go, well, "Why? I, I I act just like you. I'm assimilating. I got the hair on. I got the clothes on. I speak your language, and you're still treating me like a nigger. Why? Because racism, white supremacy, has to have someone to treat that way. And it and I'm sorry, brother, but it happens to be you mm-hmm. because you can't hide your your right. ethnicity. That that melanin in your skin, you can't pass. Some of you can, but the majority of you can't. So racism, white supremacy is in everything. Yeah, it's, it's a, like it, you, we can, and, and that's what happens in the fire department. Brother Oshi, I want to ask you in this first hour before this hour is. Oh wow, we've been talking, man. Yeah, I want to. I want to know what your what is your what is the difference between your world view and your local view. In other words, I, I know that uh, politics starts at home, and I understand that. But if we don't start to think globally, as we think locally, we're just spinning our wheels. Well, because we think that that, that that everything started at Plymouth Rock, or everything yeah. <laughs> Plymouth Rock, really. <laughs> everything started when the slave ship got here. Yeah. Well, but I, if we just think that, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think that I think that uh, what is problematic is that we believe that this is just as much ours as it is theirs. And not understanding how demented and evil the European is, the Caucasian Urugu is, and and how he how his deep desire for control is, and 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 so as a consequence, we we suffer. You know, it's by design. In fact, in, in a system like this, you got to have you you have to have a underclass, and we have been designated the permanent underclass within the society. And of course, they've done some things uh, to elevate Caucasians with the mindset, at least you ain't a nigga. Understand that. And so even mm-hmm. though they are affected uh, adversely at times themselves, but at least I ain't that, you know, and they, and if, mm-hmm. and if they know how badly they're affected, then, you know, well, they, well, of course they pretend not to know how badly we are affected. You know, so so Correct. in that condition, 
and of course, we can't all be adversely affected. So there has to be some of us who are through whatever it means, whether they're handpicked or because of whatever they were able to do to access. So to put in front of our faces, see, you too could be like, like this, you know, you know. And, 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 and the shame of that, I think, uh, was the uh, past midterm election with Herschel Walker. You know, Herschel Walker, they knew was a terrible candidate. They knew he was an embarrassment, but they didn't give a damn because the bottom line is they wanted a Republican. They wanted a Republican, and 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 and, and Trump had uh, encouraged this man to run. And I don't know if you know Trump is whack anyway. Whether he understood that this man was not a a good person to run for the U.S. Senate, Senate. but then again, Tommy Tuberville, who used to be coach of Auburn, he's he's just in the same boat. He's another ignorant fool. Has some of the many other Republican um, lawmakers, you know. So it was an embarrassment, and 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 so not just for the Republican Party, but for the politics within, in, in, for the for the politics that happens anyway. Because the politics of this society, this country, does not benefit us. We have been trying. We've been we've been arguing about the vote. In fact, that's one of the things in the uh, 1619 Project documentary that, that'll be heavily dis- discussed is the idea of voting. And, 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 and in some way, has voting is the panacea. Voting is the cure-all for us. You know, <laughs> no. In fact, I, I've, said, I've said the only um, real plebiscite, which is a vote, that I would want to participate in is how do we go for reparations? Not whether we should give them or not, but how do we deal with reparations? Because I know uh, Brother Elliot on his program, Time for an Awakening, uh, last Sunday you said, they had some people on from of these various uh, organizations talking about reparations, and some of them were adamant that the only people who should be getting reparations here in America are those uh, American Africans who were affected nobody else no nobody who come here later no africans no jamaicans no other dis- caribbean yeah no caribbean know. no it's just us you know and it's about money you know we want oh, we yeah. want we want this certain amount of money so we can you know elevate ourselves into this particular class you know and so <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I don't think in, in i don't i don't think in that way because I see it as, a, as, as, as this system is, and this is an evil system, that it benefits them because they're in control of it. They're, they're so far out front in this, in, in this situation that it has been said that it, it, in order for us to be on a part financially, equitably, with Caucasians, they're so, they're, they're so ahead. In fact, if you look at when they talk about the medium household income for Caucasians over a hundred some thousand, the medium uh, uh, income for us about one hundred fifty thousand, the medium income for us is like fifty, sixty thousand. Mm-hmm. So, so they said it would take two hundred and fifty years before we would be on a level, and that mean, and that would mean to freeze the incomes of Caucasians and whatever, how they get their money and elevate us incrementally to the point that, bam, 
here we are now, we're all on equal footing. That will never happen, of course. You no. know? No. And, and so my my contention has been is that we must understand that we are an African people. We are a global people. And 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 that we on uh, on the continent of Africa has all of the resources, and I say this at the end of each program, of all of the, all of the resources that everybody wants, think they can't do without, and sure hell don't want to pay for it. But we do. Africa is the center. If you even if you even discuss the idea of uh, uh, of uh, of the Earth's formation and the uh, planets, planets, excuse me, the the continents development. The argument is there was one big kind of called Pangea and it began to go through all the uh, tectonic shifts and so forth and began to separate. You could see where Africa was right in the middle of that and all the other planets, all the other continents began to break off from that. The North American, South American, Caribbean, and you could see where they could fit in like a puzzle. And so also too that Africa was the birthplace of humanity. You could see these things. These things are there and, right. and science will, will tell you that. And so here we are the first people on the planet gave the world and I say this in, in my libation I, and, I, and I mean it because that's what we did. And yet we've been made to hate who we are. We've been made to hate where we come from. We're always trying to get out but yet, right there, everybody else wants to come in Africa. China wants to come to Africa. Indian wants to come back to Africa. They were there before. The Arabs have taken over North Africa. The, 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 the Europeans carved up Africa and some of them still control Africa. All of them. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are. America um, uh, African American Africans who are the most technologically advanced, some of the most technologically advanced Africans on the planet, begging Caucasians for jobs when we should utilize and take that information. Everything we get from here, go there. Share with our brothers and sisters there and build Africa. Africa needs roads. Africa needs highways. Africa needs rail systems, ports. Africa needs schools. Africa needs hospitals. All of those things. Africa needs development of infrastructure. One of the things I've always uh, been saying over these many years since I've been to Africa, which is almost 20 years, is that like I go to Ghana and I'm, I'm kind of still pissed because the infrastructure has not been developed. With all the gold that is in Ghana, all the other things that have been found in Ghana, even even oil was found in Ghana about 20-some years ago, and still the one of the main roads that gets you from um, the capital of Ghana, Accra, all the way going from Accra, which is in the eastern portion, and, all the, and most of these things are in the uh, southern part of it, because Ghana you know, is the southern part of it is the ocean goes along that shore all the way from Accra to Takrati, Cape Coast, Cape Coast Dungeon, Elmina Dungeon, all of that. But yet, you know, Africa is not poor. Africa is rich. Africa has been made poor. See, when you you begin to study these things, you, be, you, you begin to have a, when you begin to listen 
and read and, and go to conferences where our historic, where our scholars and our historians, uh, you begin <laughs> to not like white folks. <laughs> you begin to <laughs> detest their ass because you, you, because th- you have now known or now you know what they have done and what they're still doing. You know, that's and right. I and, and I right. ain't talking about. See, that's why in the Inye say some, in 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 Yasasim, I read about uh, individuals. You know. And 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 we must understand that it's not about us individually. That's them. They don't want to talk about. They they want to say I'm an individual, but we. We are a collective people. You know, we 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 are together. I always use that uh, um, Ubuntu. Uh, Ubuntu means pulling together. Together, you know, that was the battle cry right. for the Boston Celtics uh, in the 2008 Finals against the Lakers. Ubuntu, coming together, together. You know, I I use this analogy, this story where the Caucasian tells these group of kids and. And you see this. I probably you've seen this. It's it's a uh, a picture of a, a group of kids with their feet in a circle. Some have to shorten them up because you know they're different heights and so forth. But yet their feet are lined up in a nice circle, Ubuntu together. And so the Caucasian says, "Well, listen, I have this basket of goodies. The first one that goes from here to this tree will get this basket of goodies." All the kids went together, and he said, "No, no, no, no." He said, and they told him, no, Ubuntu, we are together. Now give me them damn basket of goodies so we can share it. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> you cracker ass cracker with your, with your old cracker ass. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Ubuntu. Love it. Bro- Ubuntu. Brother, brother Oji. <laughs> that, that is amazing to me. I, 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 had a, I had a ton of questions I was, oh, I, was, yeah. I was going to ask you on, 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 on how you felt about different, different things. But I'm telling you, Oshie, Brother Oshie, when you, when you speak, you already answer these questions. These, it would be futile for me to ask you your views on, on uh, Republicans and Democrats, on um, single-family parents. Um, mm-hmm. Why would I ask you those things? You've already told me exactly what you think about about this european mindset yeah. or this european education that we have been taught uh, and and why we and why we um as soon as uh, they talk about reparations but now they're starting to talk about we don't want to give it to this one and we don't want to give it. now who does that sound like that sounds like a european yes it does. that sounds like uh yeah. you've been you've been taught to hate your brother so all of a sudden we're going to find a, we're going to, and I, I don't know why I think like this, but I don't think they should get it. Well, the reality is you're thinking like the people who taught you. Mm-hmm. They taught you to hate yourself. They, they taught you to hate anything that looks like you. So even in your trying to be cohesive, you're still, you still have that in you that says, I'm, I got to hate somebody. Because if you look at white people's media, their movies, it's always a villain. Someone who's I saw something the other day where the guy was saying I was hoping that the the the, the, the guy in the cowboy movies would, would win over these Indians because the Indians were trying to trying to kill them. Mm. And you wanted the mm. cowboys to win, but yeah. then you started to realize that why are you why is the cowboy here in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why why did he who's who was here first? Whose land was it? Uh, and then and then they start to to beat the 
try to beat the Indian out of the Indian. It looks like they yeah. tried to cut the foot off of Kunta to cut the Africa out of him. But what they should have, they shouldn't have cut his foot. They should have cut his heart out. Yeah. Because Indi- Africa's in your heart, Baba Oshi. Mm-hmm. We are Africans See, whether we want to be or not. Right. We can, you can try. And that's why God made us with pigment, so that we would never forget that we're Africans. I don't care if you're Christian. I don't care if you're Muslim. I don't care whatever you call yourself, a Greek, a Iota, a, a Phi Beta Kappa, Gamma <laughs> Gamma Gamma Rho. You still are African, whether you want to be or not. Yeah, that's And that's, it's not popular right now. Go and, ahead now. And Go that's ahead. why, I, you know, some of the things that we have done in, in – it's it's uh, well, early on we understood that we were African coming out of our captivity. We understood so you know Richard Allen, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, you know the brother mm-hmm. with, with the um, uh, sororities and fraternities and so forth. You know the African Lodge. You know, right? So we understood right. that we we were African, but because uh, how European is. How he is, and he imposes himself on us and in our culture, and so we 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 wanted to also too, um, you know, we too sing America. Like I said, that's the thing about. It. I'm going to talk about that when I'm going to watch uh, the sixteen nineteen project again and give it an African perspective to it. And but so we, you know, we want to be a part of it, and and we think it's just as much ours as it is theirs, and so we we want. To be reflected in that, and, and we beg these Caucasians, we we plead with them to respect who we are, respect our humanity, respect uh, our culture, and so forth. And and yet, we constantly get dissed. And so, so and so instead of saying, you know, f you, we're going to go do for us. I'm tired of begging you. We ain't begging you no more. In fact, this is like a divorce. I'm done with you. I'm kicking you to the curb, and I'm going to do for ourselves. I'm going to embrace my brothers and sisters. I'm going to embrace who I am as a person, who I am as an African man, an African woman, African family. And and because as I look at this situation, I recognize it's not good for us. It's not, it's not conducive. This society is not good, conducive to family. Not even for no. us, ain't even for them. But it's worse no. on us because if there's any social ill in a society, it's always more profound in us than anybody else. You name it. Health issues, education issues, job issues, and so forth, still today. Still today. And then now you now a, 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 a group of people have crossed into this country and, and multiplied, and now they're so-called the second minority. But the reality is, is that because Caucasians are not having children globally. Caucasians are on a serious decline. They've been in negative population growth for a couple of decades now. And so there became an issue. One of the things that became an issue, uh, if you paid attention, was um, about 10 years ago when the Syrians were having problems and the Syrians were trying to move and get out of, and then, but yet they were welcomed into Europe particularly into Germany, because the German population is so much older. And of course, they ain't black. <laughs> you know, their skin is not <laughs> melanated. And so they, they, they're they going to provide the, the workers. They're going to provide the servants right. and so forth for, right. for the older population. And, and, and other places in, in, in Europe, as well as Australia, as well as this country. So they're saying that the demographers are saying that in the next 
20 years, mm-hmm. by the 19, by the 2040s, Caucasians will be a minority in this country. Mm-hmm. Now, understand something. They were happy to do what they did here by eliminating the indigenous people to the right. point that some of them, and now this is, see, the, the Europeans' Jews did not have a holocaust. I mean, excuse me, did not have a genocide. A genocide means that those people are being erased. They had a mass murder. Okay? That was a mass murder. Genocide is what happened to the Aqua people in, in, in what is now uh, Haiti in the Dominican Republic before it was called Hispaniola. That's a genocide. They were totally erased. A genocide is what happened um, to the people which are on, on the place they now call Tasmania. Truganini and her people. They were totally erased. That's genocide. Okay? And so the problem for us is that this genocidal practice could still take place if we're not totally aware of what's happening. You know? But anyway, so now their numbers are decreasing. And so now there will be a minority in this country. Well, let me just say this. They were a minority in various places, but yet they still ruled. They're still a minority mm-hmm. and they have been in South Africa, but they still run it. In fact, my contention is right. if you are in control of the money, which they are, and you are in control of the military in which they are, yes, they are. then you run it. The same thing in Southwest Africa, Namibia. The Germans who who were there initially, they still run it. The same as other countries mm-hmm. where the French are a deep influence because of their 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 money and influence, they still run it. So I'm saying mm-hmm. is that understanding these dynamics globally, the only thing that can erase that or put a challenge to that is African unity. Is mm-hmm. African unity something that we have not tried? We have been begging and pleading crackers to be right, to act right. They will not do it. It is not in their nature to do it. It is not who they are. It is not who they are. And look what they have done by supplanting us. They have put things that were truly us, they have put their face on it. They have claimed that they did it. These are some lying yes. son of a bitches. It is who they are. But yet and still, we feel we can appeal to their moral nature. They're amoral. We 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 feel mm-hmm. that they, we can somehow make them understand our suffering by what they have done. To, they don't give a damn about us suffering. In fact, they <laughs> wish we would just disappear off the planet totally. That's why some of the things that they have done have been very genocidal in nature because uh-huh. of them. But because our That's population what... is young, we have one of the youngest populations mm-hmm on the planet. That's why we're able to reproduce, which is our benefit. The the Chinese are suffering because they try to do some things with their population, and now they're having issues. That's not an issue Mm -hmm. with us. It's African. The only issue with Mm -hmm. us African people is recognizing that we're Africans, and let's all come together on that and build for ourselves and control our resources. And now here they're finding here they're finding all kinds of other minerals that are vital uh, 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 to existence, oh, yeah. particularly for vital to technology. You, you, uh, what is it? Iridium, iridium in 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 in, in Haiti, iridium in in the Central Africa. You know, already cobalt, mm-hmm. 
all these other things, they're, they're there. And we have control of them if we take control of ourselves. That's right. You know, so that's why I, you know, I, that's why I'm adamant about this. That That's, you know, uh, that's that's my mentality, brother. That's that. I, I guess I've seen this in terms of things that we can do to put ourselves back on the stage of human history as free and proud and productive mm-hmm. people. Somebody mm-hmm. who can be a, like, not that we, see, when I give that definition and I saw Dr. Wade Nobles here at a conference in honoring, um, paying tribute uh, to Dr. Asa Hilliard at Clark Atlanta back in October, you know, and, and we've talked for a minute. And I always, okay. always mentioned his, his definition of power, you know, which I embraced. And I, when I first heard it back in the 80s, early 80s, power. The power, you know, power is not money. Power is not mm-hmm. politics. It's not voting. You know, power is none of those things. Power is not education and information. You know, information is power. Mm-mm. Power is none of those things. Because if the money you have is controlled by people outside of you and they can dictate about how that money looks and how it's spent, you have no real power. If the politics that you're dealing right. with and you're not in control of it, you have no real power. If voting is power, right. but yet, you know, your vote is always restricted or redlined or whatever, you have no power. So now, power is none of those things. Education information, what if the education information you're receiving is flawed and inaccurate? And it is. No power. So mm-hmm. what is power? Power is the ability to define reality. The, the the continuation of that quote is power is the ability to define reality and then have others accept your definition as if it's their own. Mm-hmm. That's the power I that's the part of the, the definition I don't like because I don't want to impose our reality on anyone. But that's what the European did, the Caucasian did. He imposed his reality on others. Mm-hmm. And then the question that we need to ask mm-hmm. ourselves. The question we need to ask ourselves is who are we in European, Caucasian, Urugu, white folks, the crackers, reality? Who are we? Well, first, we were the soulless people. No culture to speak of. Justifying our captivity. Justifying our colonization. Because we ain't got no nothing going on. We ain't, not, we ain't about nothing. We're, we're less than human. So that justifies that in their minds. Who are we today? With no fit fathers, no fit mothers, drug addicts, drug dealers, criminals, the scourge. Other people who come here are, are, have been told to don't come to our neighborhood, who have been told to watch out for us. Because why? We're thugs, we're criminal gangsters, and many of our people act in that fashion because we've been stereotyped and we act out those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So, so, no, we can't have any power. We only have power when we define and shape and fashion things in our image and in our interests. That's what power is. Defining mm-hmm. things in our image and interest in our reality. This is our reality. Our reality is love amongst ourselves. Our reality is respect for family. Our reality, and I mean family, a man and a woman and some children, family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's where we could get our power. 
That's it. No other way. But yet we 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 think that, you know, uh, overturning the mindset and attitude of Caucasians to be more human, more human <laughs> and more accepting and 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 uh, more inviting in term in terms of the society. No, we have no power. You know, we may have some influence, but that's not power. That's not, influence is just because I say something, maybe you might, okay, well, yeah, we might do that, sir. That's influence. That's not power. Mike. You know. Mm-hmm. So so to me, that's that's where we need to really um put our emphasis on gaining our power. But the only way we can do that is that we must close ranks, pull our resources, and do for ourselves, educate ourselves, believe in ourselves. And, and, and some of the things, too, that we must deal with, of course, is the theology that has been posed upon us. One of the things that, 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 help, that hinders us is the religions that we have accepted that are outside of being African, you know, whether it's Christianity in its various forms or whether it's, whether it's Islam in its various forms, or whether it's even Judaism in its uh, various forms, as well as other African, I mean, as well as other religions that are outside of us, Hinduism, Buddhism, Toism, so forth, you know. Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness, all of that. Yeah, all of that. There's so many. There's so many, you know. And and to me, it if you can be African and still participate in that, that's on you. But I think the problem is that two religions specifically that are proselytizing, you know, that means that they seek converts and they seek it seriously is, of course, Christianity and uh, Islam, you know. We got a whole bunch of people that uh, maybe want to talk. So, questions. And look, they, they, Brother Oji, before we go to the line, we don't have much time. Uh, right. It's, it's, it's uh, quarter to the hour. But uh, I just want to say that you, uh, you've you opened up uh, very honestly about your life and about your journey. And uh, I, for one, really appreciate you just uh, having this conversation and letting people have a little more insight in, in, into who you are, why you are, what you are, and what you hope to be. Because you ain't what you used to be, Brother O.G. No. Uh, but you, you definitely yeah. ain't... Um, you definitely ain't where you want to be, but but I but you definitely are an inspiration to everyone who hears your voice because in everything that you've said in this last hour and a half, you have the the the, the theme throughout of everything that you said is about helping your people, is about helping Africans, and about and about pushing back this racist this racist uh, ideology that or, or society that we live in because Hitler started out as a racist. And the end of racism is genocide. See, race, to be a racist, your ultimate goal is genocide, is to eradicate the people that you're racist against. That's what racism is. And people don't understand that Hitler's racism went from, went from not liking the Jews to, to, to having them walk into uh, gas chambers and killing themselves and having them die. And that's what, that was his objective, was to, ex, to eliminate these people. And that's what's happening with black people. Mm-hmm. We, are being, we are being eradicated from this. And they're going to move us out the way for the next group of people that white supremacy wants to eradicate. 
you know, and, and this, and if we don't realize, and you, you said it, if we don't realize it, that everything in this country works against you, there's nothing working for you collectively. If you notice anything that's, that says something about your history is automatically there's a law being passed to stop it. Or <laughs> we're going to take you off the Internet because you yeah. said that gay people ain't great. What? Well, yeah. take me off your Internet because I'm going to start my own Internet. That's mm-hmm. what I tell children. Don't fight to be in the NBA. Start an NBA. Start a league. If you, if you don't see it in your lifetime, do it for your children. Do it for your legacy. You know, don't don't. I'm not celebrating Jackie Robinson going into the major leagues. I'm mad that the that uh, Branch Rickey uh, eliminated the Negro League yeah. by, by taking Jackie Robinson. He eliminated the Negro. I'm not. I'm, Martin Luther King did some great things, but integrating into their hotels didn't cost white people nothing. As a matter of fact, it helped them it helped economically. Them. Exactly. That didn't have. That didn't cost them nothing. Yeah. But to get true equality. White folks are going to have to bleed, and white folks ain't bleeding. They're not going to bleed unless no. they have to. Mm-hmm. And if they, and the only reason they bleed is when they don't have enough bombs to bomb you into the submission. And that's what this is about. The only reason people listen to the United States is because they got 3,500 nuclear bombs in the basement. Yeah. Okay? That's and, why they listen. Not because they scared, they're scared of their military might. Because mm-hmm. militarism, individualism, and materialism, Yep. These are the things that 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 black that that, that scare black people, or, or or these white people want to project on you. You got to be an individual. You know, you got to be afraid of this militarism and this racism yeah. is a part of everything. Yeah. Everything. Neely Phillips puts that out there. So yes, big brother, thank you, uh, brother. Well, no, Oshie, thank for, you, for thank you, man. And being honest, and let's take a let's take a call and see what people think about this conversation, man. I want to know what they okay. what they think. If there's anybody on the line, yeah, is there there's, anyone there's, we got a, we got a few. Let me, let me talk. Let me. Hey, my brother, how you doing? Brother Brother Oshie. Yes, sir. Uh, First of all, let me say, what's the interviewer's name? That's uh, that's Brother Irv. That's Brother (laughs) Irv Lewis out of Baltimore. Hey, Brother Lewis. um, I think you did an outstanding job, Brother Lewis. You really hit some points. Thank you so very much, and I hope that this gets documented and shared and and be able to (laughs) have people to listen more on who the real Ochi Adelabu is, right? Um, and not that he has not already have done that through this programming. Um, uh, so congratulations on the job well done. My question to you, Brother Oshi, is, um, you know, we have incurred and suffered a lot of collateral damage within ourselves. And I'm really alluding to your local view, point of view. And, and so... Just recently, of course, you may have or uh, have heard of the incident that happened right there in uh, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. where you have these policemen who are reflective with regards to melanation of us. All right. Mm-hmm. Could you share your thoughts about what has transpired um, and knowing the kind of type of history that has been part of Memphis, Tennessee, as it pertains to us as black people there. Could you share your thoughts and ideas about that event that happened most recently? Sure, Brother Luss, and, and that's Brother Ted Luss. And, and let me say this uh, before I I, I say I, I make a statement in terms of that situation. Brother Ted Lusk, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the things that you've sent to me over the years now, and appreciate you always listening. Um, 
the the reality is is that no matter uh what color the person is that has uh the badge it still represents the system it's just like in wartime no matter what color that that person is they represent the united states and so the the, the brothers on the police department they represent the police department of Memphis or Atlanta or Milwaukee or Chicago, wherever. And that mentality of the police department, although I, I've met some really good brothers and sisters. In fact, I've spoken at the National Black Police Office, the Police Association and, and Noble. I've spoken there. And, I, and I've known some really good, sincere brothers who tried to police communities the proper way in a more objective way. But the reality is that's what the police department the police department is designed to do is to maintain a suppression over particularly us if you are in that city and you are a police officer in a so-called quote central city or quote uh, black neighborhood or whatever you have to make sure you suppress that Yes, there's going to be some brothers and sisters who are police officers who are going to uh, try to protect and serve or who, or who will try to uh, um, help brothers and sisters out who are being attacked by racist police officers. I will never forget the sister. She became a spokesperson um, for that. She, uh, I can't remember what the city was, but, but the, uh, her so-called partner was beating up a brother and she intervened. You know, she got fired. You know, it's just like when I'm um, was on the fire department and these two cops walked in on the situation that we had. It was an EMS because the brother did an overdose of cocaine. It was the EMS thing. And, and, and so we had to search. We had the whole uh, atmosphere, you know, calm and so forth. And it was in check. These two cats came in like, you know, like they all that and just totally disrupted the thing. And it got ugly. And so I I, chipped, I helped to push the brother away and trying to protect him. And the cat pulled his Pull his, about to pull his gun on me and then I got rolled up you know but it didn't it didn't change anything in terms of the situation and as I talked to the chief about it you know but that's how it is that's why they pol- they police even though they're they're us they police our community the way it is dictated the way our community should be policed and that's the unfortunate thing so it doesn't matter if it's uh, Caucasian, American African, Latino, Indian. It is the it is the mindset of the police department that has not changed since its inception. Now, hopefully, there are some communities where the where it's officer friendly, it's it truly is protect and serve. But I I garner to say it's not in a metropolitan major metropolitan area that that's not happening. That's some little small Mayberry community. Yeah, go ahead. Brother Oji, may I speak? My, 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 I asked my father one time, should I be a police officer? And he said, no, don't be a police officer. And I asked him why. He said, are you willing to lock your mother up if she did something wrong? I said, no, I'm not locking my mother up. He said, then you shouldn't be a police officer. <laughs> yeah. He said, because a police officer has to uphold the law. That's if right. your mother breaks the Regardless. law, you took an oath to do mm-hmm. that. And that's mm-hmm. what those brothers, those brothers did because they got fired because of public opinion. They didn't get fired because they didn't do their job because that's their job. There's a culture 
police right. department is a culture, right. and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And I, do, do you see the the, the, uh, the paternal order police raising money for them? Do, do, you, no. do you see people on TV send money no. to help these police officers? No. <laughs> and you ain't going to see it. No. And you ain't going to see it. Because they're, 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 they're going to take that hit like they and, always and I do. Think they, very quickly, they may be the first police officers ever in the history of police officing, if that's the right word, <laughs> to be charged with murder. Mm-hmm. They're charged with these. The, the guys that beat up Rodney King weren't charged with attempted murder. You know, these police officers that, that killed these people yeah. here lately over the years haven't been charged with the murder. They're charged with murder. And listen to this. This is this is serious. Listen to this. And and it's because they're black. Right. And listen. now they're, they're now now I don't see all the police officers marching. I didn't see Biden get on television and say, "Well, they give them the benefit of the doubt." They're police. You ain't see all no. that. You know. But you see it with the white officers for sure. Because so there you go. In in the city of Milwaukee, <laughs> the the district attorney in the city of Milwaukee had never uh, even indicted a. Milwaukee police officer mm. in the death of, of an American African person. Never, ever. And so this one brother who was encountered a Latino and whatever, how it happened, he killed him. He was going to indict him. And that brother wound up killing himself. You know, mm. because he felt that that the, the, the system was not going to protect him like they have done other Caucasian officers. You know, but let me let me get some more phone calls because we're running out of time. And, you Thank know, four oh four, four oh four. Good afternoon. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. Hey, sister. How you doing? Yes. Greetings. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I wanted to echo the other call that was in that was, um, you know, giving uh, a salute out to uh, is it Brother Herb for a fabulous, fantastic, um, awesome powerful that's right interview that's my brother and just want to say i can i say to you uh baba oki and i'm you know the interview just put more shining the light on what a great freedom fighter you are for our people and a leader uh, uh you know i think it's come on the show once before we don't have no black leaders we don't have to have black leaders. you exemplifying one and you being one and we say asante yeah. For your freedom fighting work, my brother. Thank you, my sister. I say, say, and Pan Africanism or Paris. That's right. That's the model of this program. Pan Africanism or Paris. Unify or die. That's the bottom line. Okay, my sister. Peace to you. Thank you, Sabia. Six six oh four. Six oh four. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, brother Oshi and brother. Um you know, this situation in Memphis may be more brutal than anything we may have ever seen. And the only reason I say that is because if you notice, the head cracker that already spoke about it. Now, I've never heard a situation to where as the president has spoken about brutality. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Brutality before it's been seen. Mm -hmm. So I 
can just imagine the type of beating they put on that brother. And, you know, I remember back in the day when I was working for New York City Transit. And I was on an elevated station. And this black guy was drunk. And he got into it with a white police officer. And the white police officer called, I think it was a 1013. And, you know, when he called the 1013, they come running. Well, let me tell you, the first officers that got there were the white officers. And, you know, they got the situation under control. Well, let me tell you, a minute or two later, the black officer came. And, man, that's when they got out of control. And that... How? Right how, did, how, did they, how, how, how did they get out of control when the started, presence they, of the black officers started, came in? They started, they started stomping on them and beating on them. The black officers? It was, yeah, the black officers. When it was already all under control. And, I, and I've seen them do it numerous times after that. And... You know, that was my real first experience in seeing in seeing that type of action by a black officer. And, you know, the thing that got me was the white officers would just stand back and look at these damn fools and the manner in which they would act and behave towards their own brothers. So I could just imagine what these five officers did to that brother. Yeah. And the sad thing is that the sickness is they thought that they would be treated like white officers would be if they did the same thing. Look how fast they done already put the hammer on their ass. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. understand what yeah. I'm saying? They ain't never treated no cracker like that. Right. They yeah, ain't never agree. treated no white officer that quickly mm. with judgment. They usually get suspended with pay, and mm. then it takes the uproar of the community to get their asses indicted. Right. But let me tell you, this may be one of the most brutalist beatings we've ever seen. Yeah. Well, that's, what, that's what I'm expecting from it. And okay. the sad thing is... Well, hey, hey, that AJ, AJ, AJ. Hey Jay, we're gonna finish. I hear you. We're gonna. I got a few more people that I'm trying to get on before I get Jay, out of here. Do your thing. Okay, thanks, Jay. Okay, two o two, two o two, two seven one. Good afternoon. Yeah, how you doing? Hey, brother Rick, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. You know, uh, Jay made a really good point. Uh, you know, if if we ever really become cognizant of our position, and I'm not speaking of you, brothers, but as a matter of fact, you are the exception. And I would like to enter your classroom in the kindergarten. <laughs> but uh, if, if uh, what I'm saying is, you know, it all goes back to the nature of this whole culture. It's three different levels, and we're at the bottom. Dred Scott's decision yeah. determined our relationship to this culture. That's right. He said the sons and daughters, sons and daughters mm -hmm. of Africa have no rights that the white man is bound to respect. That's right. Now, the white man doesn't mean 
the physical white man. The white man's mentality is what we have no rights. That's right. To res- that, that we ha- in other words, we have that we have no rights that they are bound to respect. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, it's really sad that I'm approaching my 70s, and I recall vividly walking down 8th Street in, in Washington, D.C., and just people were friendlier and kinder. And this is something that we have to take responsibility for. And it's this generation that has come up after us. Mm-hmm. We don't have the kind of unity. I'm literally walking down A Street and, and give the black power fist to a brother yeah. that I have no idea who he is. Right. And he would give it back to me and we'd mm-hmm. smile and walk, man. That That is what we have lost. Mm-hmm. And so we think that white folks or a society or a culture that they have produced and governed for themselves are going to treat us fairly. I, you know, I, I, I moved out of the country uh, where I'm at is not a lot better, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a bit better. Mm-hmm. And I have always looked forward to the idea of black folks leaving this country. Mm-hmm. I mean it, man. I, I yeah. really do. I don't think that we will have any progress in this culture. It's not the country. It's not the land. No, it's the culture. It's the mentality right. of the laws the, right. and the culture it's that the culture. is been prevalent in yeah. every segment of our lives. Yep. I we don't do you. anything to combat it. You know, uh, our ancestors, our great-grandfathers, they, hell, some of them said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die fighting this shit. Yeah. I mean, they really, and some of them did. My yeah. great, my grandfather had a shotgun, a Remington, and three. Uh, I don't know what they were, but they were right there by the door. <laughs> and and his his notion was that if they come to our house in violence, we will meet them with violence. Oh, and damn it, if I gotta die protecting you all, that's a glorified death for me. Yeah, yeah I remember he said that to me, looking me in the eye, and well, it influenced me. I hear you. And, well, listen, and, and brother, let I got me know. I got to get ready to get out of here, and I got a few more calls. I'm gonna try to get. Okay, brother, I appreciate okay, you calling. Okay, brother, man. I'm sorry. No, no, we, no, we that's gotta, not at gotta, all. Not at all. Appreciate you. No, no. You, let man. me find just one, thirty more seconds. Sure. Let me just say we got to develop a method of communicating where they don't know what that's we're right. doing. If we don't you. do that, yeah. we're out of the game. I hear you. We playing you, checkers, and they playing and chess. chess with three queens. <laughs> all right, brother. Peace. Have a good <laughs> thank, weekend. Thank man. you. Peace. You bet. 602, 602, good afternoon. Yes, Brother Oshu. So I'm down here in the lion's mouth waiting to see what's going to happen tonight. And um, everybody on edge, so, you know, we won't wait and see. But I just want to say that if if Africa has to, if Africa is to live, America has to die. I say. Mm-hmm. I say. And, and that's the thing, that the, 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 uh, the tape will come out tonight. I mean, I, I don't understand that. You see what, I mean, they already showed you him in being in a hospital, what the results have been. So I don't understand why it's going to be that deep. He beat, They beat the shit out of him and he died, you know. And uh, to me, let let the so-called process, you know, which of course will convict these five brothers, mm-hmm. unlike unlike what other callers have said, like what Jay said, that if it were Caucasian, they'd be fighting them. The, the union be fighting them and so forth. But we'll see. All right, Brother Marcus. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. Peace to you. All right. All right. All right. 
Mama Nabantu. Yeah, how are you? I'm fine. You're my last one. You're my last caller. Go ahead, dear. So y'all been talking about the the brothers that beat up and yeah. killed this brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we well I actually we've been talking about me, the, the brother Irv Irv Lewis has interviewed oh, he, me. Yeah. He interviewed you, right? Right. Yeah, I heard part of that. Okay. All of it. Yeah. So I guess I have to go to archives to see. I can hear the whole thing. Okay. You know. Yeah, but somebody said they thought that those brothers were put up to do that so they can show that black folks do this too. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if they get paid to do it. I don't know, but they convicted them too quickly. You know, a yeah. murder? Instantly. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see what happens. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, my sister. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 505, hey, Baba, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing okay. I'll see you probably next uh, next Friday in Atlanta. Oh, you'll be here. All right. Yeah, my sister's birthday. My sister's birthday is Saturday, so okay. uh, I'm gonna try to get down there. Okay, I look I'll forward. I, I I look forward to meeting you, breaking bread with you. Okay. Yeah. So just let me know okay. when you come in, where yes. you are. I'll I'm I'll, I'll, I'll be available. Okay. Good show. Yes, I appreciate it. I'll see you in Atlanta. All right, dear brother. Peace to you. All right. And my last caller, 404, 404, last caller. Go ahead. Oh, all right, Brother Irv. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, dear brother. Brother Oshie. Yes, sir. Brother Oshie, can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to, to be able to interview you, man, is, is is an honor, man. I mean, I this is something that I will treasure for a long time because I got some insight. Uh, not just uh, in bits and pieces, but I got it all in one continuous thought. And when you listen to a lecturer who speaks continuously, then you really hear the essence of what he's saying. But when you hear bits and pieces, then you just hear sound bites. But this was mm-hmm. not a sound bite. This was you talking about your life in your own words. <clears throat> and, and, and you're right, this should be archived and this should be held on. For, for a legacy, because when your grandchildren are grown, if I'm still here or, or whoever's here can listen to that, and they will, they will know uh, who Oshi Adalabu was and what Oshi Adalabu stood for. And that's important because your legacy is what, um, is what, people, uh, what inspires people to, to do what they do. And you are an inspiration to anyone that comes within – Three, three feet of you, you inspire them because you, you know what you are, you know who you are, you know whom you are, and you know what you understand what your purpose in life is. We all live a purposeful life, and you understand your purpose, and your purpose is liberation for your people, and you, and you live that. You don't just talk it. So, uh, brother, thank you, thank you, thank you, and for all the people that were listening, thank you for listening, thank you for the the accolades of of a well done interview. Thank you so much for all that. And uh, the the struggle keeps going, man. We we just keep fighting. I it doesn't you. stop. Sure does. Thank you, brother Irv. Also, too, brother. Thank you, uh, brother Paul, for my my good brother from over there. Oh yeah. Thank the you, UK, Paul. Man, man, thank Paul, you, Paul. Man. Appreciate you. you. Believe me. Believe me. And I I can't wait. And I'm, hopefully the day will come where I'll be able to see some of you guys in person, so I can put faces to the names and voices that I've heard for a number of years now and, and, and who have been a great encouragement to me. And of course, meeting you, Brother Irv, 
you know, we've seen each other before, but now we're connected, man. We're real brothers, and I love you. You know, appreciate you, and I know that we're going to do some good things in, in, in the future. And all you brothers and sisters that are calling this program and those who just listen, I, I, I can't say enough. I will try my best to, to, to represent us and to give us the information that is necessary. I will never sugarcoat anything. I'll never let anybody, you know, uh, come on this program and demean and degrade us. That's not going to happen because on this program we'll talk about the things that in a positive way. I know it doesn't seem that way for us a lot of times. I understand that. But for us, we must constantly think that we will be here. We will be not here in America, but be here on this planet. Let's understand something. The evil forces on this planet want to eliminate us. They want to eradicate us. They, they want real genocide to happen to us. But let me tell you, it ain't happening. And they will never be us and never beat us. Brothers and sisters, I love you with the bottom from the bottom of my heart. And I always try my best to be my best and do my best to work with us. We end this program like we end all of our programs with the words of Stephen Biko. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the minds of the oppressed. This program is dedicated and committed to helping to free the African mind. But not just the M-I-N-D, but the M-I-N-E because under the feet of African people lies all of the resources that everybody wants, think they can't do without, and they sure in the hell don't want to pay for. Brothers and sisters, you have a blessed and wonderful day. Shim Hotep means go in peace. Asante Sana means thank you. Abibi Fahorier means our victorious destiny. Brothers and sisters, we will be victorious. Have a blessed and wonderful and safe weekend. See you on Monday. Peace, family. Well, O.C., you did.